so today, um, in one of my Slack chats at work, someone was asking, like, oh, has anyone seen Aladdin? And I have not seen Aladdin, but I had a dream last night about Aladdin. And I was like, okay, well, this is like the Disney chat, right? And so I can tell them about this dream. I was like, I haven't seen it yet, but um, I had a dream last night in which, like, Jasmine was apologizing to Aladdin for wearing so much eye makeup because she thought she wouldn't be recognizable with such a heavy, smoky eye. And then uh, the genie was actually living inside of a clothes iron. And I put this, I got like a couple weird reactions on it. I was like, oh, I thought this was funny. Like someone commented, like, had a, oh, okay, uh, emoji react. And someone else did a like concerned Pikachu react. And I looked at it and it was like this member. And I was like, he's not in the Disney chat. Oh my God. I accidentally posted this in the OT diversity chat. Oh my god! <laughs> they were talking about it because apparently Aladdin does some really cool things in terms of diversity. I sent this <laughs> chat to over a thousand people. <laughs> that is the most Maddie shit I have ever heard in my entire life. That was my day today. Woo! So with that, uh, welcome to the next episode of Saturday the 14th. Um, I am Maddie. Who- I'm Maggie. <laughs> is the ultimate sender of wrong messages. (laughs) Oh my God, that's incredible. I did one time while I was working on um, an outline, send my coworker several texts about my thoughts about, I want to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, (laughs) before realizing that it was not you, because he's like one of the only other people I text regularly. You know, we all have our embarrassing work moments. We do. But is there anything more embarrassing than being murdered in a dream. Um, maybe being murdered in a dream while wearing a crop top. Like a young Johnny Depp? Exactly like a young Johnny Depp. You know, I'm going to say, people do not, men specifically, do not wear enough crop tops these days. I mean, people in general don't wear enough crop tops, but especially men don't. I feel like women have reclaimed the crop top and we're wearing them more. But I feel like there are a lot of women out there who don't feel like they can wear a crop top. That's true. And I think everyone everywhere should wear a crop top. I am someone who gets self-conscious about wearing crop tops sometimes, and I shouldn't because they're awesome. Are you a 55-year-old businessman? Wear a crop top. Are you a 70-year-old grandmother? Wear a crop top. Are you a cat? Crop that top. Or just don't wear a top because, honestly, cats have Cats don't need it. No, no. They look cute when they wear Except for naked cats. Do they have to wear sweaters like the the Italian greyhounds? Yeah. (sighs) Amazing. In case you can't tell or have not seen the movie or just confused about everything we're saying right now, uh, we're talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street today. We sure are. And I am super excited. I think by this point, everyone knows that I am like obsessively interested in 1980s slasher movies, right? We're all... I think we're all on the same page here. all my favorites, yeah. And I love Wes Craven. I think he's a genius. Um, Though there were a couple of moments in watching this movie and I was like, oh, this was written by a man. And I'll get into that later. But he's good. It's just like, maybe he could have had a woman proofread this at some point in time. That's my only feedback. Yeah, I think that that is good feedback um, just across the board for anyone who is writing a movie. Have Uh, someone who has a different perspective than you read it and say, like, are you doing something that might actually accidentally be not great? Yeah, because, you know, not all guys realize when they're doing that. No, I mean, women do it too. I mean, you talk about different types of diversity um, and, like, intersectionality. You want to make sure that anyone who you are representing who is different than you, you are not accidentally completely misrepresenting. Yeah. And having a second set of eyes um, from someone who has a different perspective is a good idea. Yeah. Make friends who aren't exactly like you. It'll help. It will. 
But in spite of that, I do think this is a fantastic it movie. It is a really good I movie, really and Wes Craven is so good. It's so scary. All right, so let's get into it now that we've gotten all of our um, slack mishaps out of the yeah, way. Yeah, this movie came out in 1984. And it is uh, written and directed by Wes Craven. It is, and it's produced by Robert Shea. Yes, who actually had quite a bit to do with the... We don't always talk about producers on, on the show, but like he had quite a bit to do with the making of this movie. So I believe that. He deserves a reference. And it stars Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Amanda Weiss, uh, Sue Garcia, who for this one was credited as Nick Corey. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with that name, that's who that is. Um, Robert Englund, of course, as Freddy Krueger, and Johnny Depp in his film debut. Yeah, uh, mine fun fact is apparently Craven didn't want to hire him. But his daughter thought that he was just beautiful. Yeah, apparently he looked really sort of pale and sickly in the photos that they took of him. And his daughter was like, no, that's a hot man. And so they hired him. And uh, good job, daughter of Wes Craven. Yeah, because, you know, Johnny Depp has not necessarily aged well. And he... um, I feel like up until a few years ago. Yeah. Because like kind of took a turn. Early Jack Sparrow. Early Jack Sparrow is good. Had such a twelve-year-old crush on oh, him. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And for budget, this is another example of a really low budget turning around a really nice profit. Yeah, this is only made for one point eight million, which is impressive considering how many practical special effects there are. Yeah, actually, there. I mean, the rooms flipping upside down, and there's a lot of like stuff that. I mean, it's very. I heavy mean, duty. they have this really cool effect they use twice, where there's. Um, in one, it's the bed, and in one, it's the ceiling, where, like, a face and, like, body kind of come out of it, and yeah. it's clearly, like, latex or something. Oh, my God. But then, like, they cut to a different scene, and they're, like, knocking on it, and it's hard, or it's, like, a real bed. So they had to recreate those rooms, like, with that, like, latex paneling or whatever, or they might have just, like, recreated that panel, but it's a really cool visual effect in yeah. both cases. But basically what that means is you need to have... Um like you can't be shooting in someone's house or something like that because you need to be able to replace that wall yeah so that has to be like on a stage which is time and money and there's a lot of blood used in this movie and blood don't come cheap it it don't it sure don't even if you're making it you have to buy a lot of stuff in order to like make it from scratch or i make it from scratch every day in my body. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're... No, I feel like it would be more expensive if you're, like, bleeding people. Because you got to either pay them for their time and their money or, or and their blood. It's true. Or you got to cover up some gruesome murders. And that costs money, too. Yeah. Which Corn would Stars be... probably is cheaper. I would think so, yeah. But wouldn't it be an even better horror movie if this whole time Wes Craven was, like, brutally murdering people for their blood to use on set? And it was, like, the behind the scenes of Nightmare on Elm Street? I feel like there's something like that in some movie somewhere i do feel like now we need to say that it is this podcast's stance that Wes craven never slaughtered anyone (laughs) for any purposes at all but it would be fascinating if he had oh man it would be by all accounts he was a lovely man but wouldn't that have been cool like not real cool but like kind of cool all right, so we start out this movie um, with the opening credits over a close-up shot of Freddy making the glove. The glove, which is a leather glove with knives attached to the fingers. Yeah, and apparently in the what they call the hero glove, which is the actual glove that they used to cut things, like whenever he slashes something they have to cut things, that's the hero glove, which had real knives on it. You couldn't close your hand into a fist without cutting yourself by accident. Hmm. So every time somebody wore the glove, they ended up accidentally hurting themselves. Oh, no. (laughs) I also read that um, the glove was inspired by cat claws. Yeah. Because Wes Craven was scared of cat claws. Horror movie 
auteurs are always scared of the weirdest shit. This is why I would be a really good horror movie auteur because I'm scared of everything. That's true. It's like Hitchcock being scared of eggs. Make something, make other people scared of the weird shit you're scared of. Yes. So in this dream after he makes his glove, he's chasing this girl around. Um, a young blonde woman in a white nightgown. Yeah, she's so cute. Her name's Tina. Um, and then she wakes up in bed. And uh, her mom comes in because she's been, like, screaming in her sleep. And her mom points out that she has these, like, cuts on her nightgown. Yeah, slashes just like his fingers in the dream. So she's kind of freaked out by that. And she goes to school the next morning. And she's talking to her friend Nancy Thompson about it. Um, and to Nancy's boyfriend, Glenn Lance, who are um, Heather Langenkamp and Johnny Depp, respectively. Uh, and Nancy's like, it's okay, like, weird shit happens, and Glenn's like, oh, it's just a dream, and then, like, her shitty boyfriend comes over and is like, who are you dreaming about? What you doing? He's, like, a dumb asshole. And that's Rod. That's Rod. He sucks. Rod's the worst. Rod Lane. He has moments of not sucking so bad in this movie, but his opening act sucks a lot. He doesn't start not sucking until, like, very bad shit starts happening. Yeah. Tina says her mom's not gonna be home that night, so she wants Nancy and Glenn to come, like, hang out. Really, Nancy's gonna sleep over, and Glenn decides to come along as well. Yeah, like, she just doesn't want to be alone. Which is understandable. I get freaked out when I have nightmares. Dude, for real. I have nightmares. I have very vivid dreams, so I get freaked out a lot. Um, But while they're talking about it, Nancy also mentions that she had this really crazy dream about this guy in a ripped-up red and green sweater, which is the same exact thing that Freddy Krueger was wearing in his dream that Tina had. Yeah, um... And Glenn mentions also having a nightmare, or he kind of is acting as if he's had something similar, but he doesn't exactly say what it is. Yeah, like, they're talking about it at her place, at uh, Tina's place, and he's, like, kind of looking at them, and, like, you can tell that he is recognizing some of the stuff that they're saying, like, his fingers, they talk about, like, his long fingers. Yeah. And stuff like that. Um, And then they start hearing weird noises outside. Yeah. So um, they go out to check what it is, and Glenn's all like, I'm gonna kick your ass, whoever you are. And then Rod comes out. Yeah. He's like, surprise, it's me, bitch. Yeah. But, I mean, he tackles Glenn. Yeah. And he and Tina had just had a fight. Yeah, that morning. So she doesn't want to see him. She's like, go away. I don't want you here. Like, you're not supposed to be here. And that's um, when Rod's like, well, is your mom home? And she's like, yes, she is. And he's like, no, she isn't. Like, we should go have sex. And she's like, uh. And then they go off and they have sex. Yeah, she doesn't. She's she not enthusiastic in any way. Quickly though, like, once she's they actually like, start, oh, whatever, and then he's like, "Let's go," and she's like, "Okay, fine." But yeah, it just—I think this is the point that bothered me, and just in the sense that, like, if a woman is lying to you and say, like, in order to get around and not do that, maybe she's not going to get into it immediately after that. Yeah, it is also like a very teenage relationship, though, where it it's is. like he is being an asshole. And she is doing that thing where you, like, interpret, like, any small nice thing that your boyfriend does for you when you're, like, 17 as being, like, oh, he does actually love me, JK, so I'll go off with him and whatever. And, you know, and they have this, like, little talk in bed where he's, like, I do care about you and blah, blah, blah. And she's, like, I care about you, too. And he's, like, so we're not going to fight anymore. And she's, like, no, we're not going to fight anymore. It was more the idea (laughs) of her being mad at him and her saying she didn't want him there and him being, like, well, yes, you do. Like, let's go to your mom's bedroom. And her, like, very entitled teenage boy. Very reluctantly. And then all of a sudden she's into it. And I was, like, oh, she actually wanted it all along is kind of the perspective I got. And I was, like, that's eh. Yeah. I mean. That's really my main complaint. It's not that bad. It's just, like. Yeah, it's almost like that same kind of antagonistic relationship. Well, it seems like it's trying to be the same kind of antagonistic relationship as the friend and the boyfriend in um, Halloween. 
where they like bicker and argue and then yeah. still they want to like hook up and stuff like that except they don't really do it in a way that makes you think that they actually like each other at all until after they've already had sex yeah so i was a little annoyed by that but the rest of the movie is great yeah it is. um and so they're having sex very 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 loudly and nancy and glenn are downstairs and they're like this yeah sucks. i think they're in tina's bedroom yeah and they're sleeping well, in there Nancy is sleeping in Tina's bedroom. Glenn is downstairs on the couch. Oh, yeah, Glenn yeah, you're can right. hear them having sex upstairs, and he's like, this blows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm so far away from my girlfriend. Because he, like, wanted to hook up with her, and she's like, no, I have to be here for Tina. Which is like, Tina's fine. <laughs> Tina is being attended to. <laughs> she Heather doesn't a- need you. Nancy is a good friend. I just called her Heather. <laughs> <laughs> I think I called her Heather, too. Um, yeah, I might accidentally call Nancy Heather a couple times. I think I definitely did. Anyway, Tina ends up falling asleep, and then she wakes up when there are, like, pebbles being thrown at her window, and she, like, hears her name being whispered. Um, in, like, a creepy way. Was like, yeah, Tina. spoilers. This is a dream, though. Tina goes downstairs, and she ends up being chased by, like, a very severely disfigured man. Yeah, and his arms sort of stretch out. Like, he's walking down this alleyway, and he starts, like, running his... Um, claw hand against one side of the alleyway and then his arms just sort of stretch out really long and he turns into he's really like deformed like physically like his body is the wrong size and shape and yeah his like arms are really hella creepy. long um and he starts chasing her and she's running away and he's like hey tina hey tina look at this and she turns around and he like holds up his hand that doesn't have the glove on it and then just chops off two of his own fingers and starts like spurting this like green blood crap and she's like what the fuck and she runs away yeah also if a a creepy ass guy is chasing you he's like hey hey look at this just don't look keep running keep going you'll be get out of there you don't need to do what he says no no go do your own thing have a nicer dream and I know we're going to talk a little bit later about how, like, he has funny one-liners and, like, weird moments. I feel like this was almost them trying to make this more of a horror comedy and just doesn't quite land comedically. I think that if it weren't for all of the sequels in which he is more upfront with his humor, I don't think that people would read this movie as being as funny as it is. Mm-mm. Like, it has funny moments, and, like, he's definitely more chatty than any of, like, the previous sort of, like, slasher villains that were. I mean, like, to. Michael Myers says nothing. Right. Jason doesn't even exist in the first Friday the 13th movie. Right, and his mom barely says anything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of unusual for somebody to talk this much, and I think that just his willingness to be a little bit chattier, along with, like, the supernatural elements of it, kind of we'll talk about this later but that's kind of where i think the humor aspect comes from yeah it's like the first step but anyway uh tina runs into her house in this dream world and he follows her and ends up like attacking her in the bed that she was sleeping in yeah and so rod is woken up because tina is like under the sheets screaming and writhing and stuff like that and so he wakes up and she is dragged up out of bed up to the ceiling and then like across all over like wall to wall. And even before she gets dragged up, like she is sliced open by four, like you can see four slash marks just appear on her stomach. Yeah. it's And so as she's really dragged scary. up to the ceiling and like being whipped around the ceiling, she's just bleeding everywhere and screaming. Yeah. And he is like blood is going everywhere and he's like screaming her name and like trying to figure out what's going on. And so obviously everyone else in the house wakes up and they run into Tina's bedroom and he's gone. He's run out the window. Yeah, he, they're like banging on the door trying to get in and then they uh, they get in and he's gone. Yeah, which is understandable because that is some fucked up shit to see. Yeah. I this is a- the point where I kind of get Rod's actions. Yeah, I After get what this he's point, doing. I'm like, okay. And he was trying to save her as much as he could. Just like when there's like an invisible assailant who's yeah, dragging your ripped open girlfriend across the ceiling there's a good chance you can't really do anything in that moment 
This is a good one. I like when they open the door to her bedroom, like how covered in blood everything is. Like it's, I know like a lot of slashers are very gory, but I just, they really go for broke on this one. The walls are covered in blood. The bed is covered in blood. The ceiling, like every surface in the room is covered in blood. It's a very bloody movie. It's really gross. But it's like that extra horror of like, holy shit, like imagine walking into that scene. So they call the cops, obviously, and one of the cops that comes is Nancy's father. Yeah, and uh, she gets taken back to the station. Her dad's like, why the hell were you here? And it comes out kind of, it's like implied, and you don't actually find out for sure until later that Nancy's mom and dad are like divorced or separated or something like that. Yeah, and they don't seem like they're on very good terms because like her mom comes and gets her and is like, they're kind of sniping at each other. Yeah. The next morning, Nancy wakes up and she's like ready to go to school and her mom's like, you don't need to go to school today. Like you have seen some shit. And she's like, no, I just want to go back. I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah, she says that if she were to stay home, she'd just be sitting there thinking about what happened all night and she wants to like go and kind of distract herself. Yeah, so she goes. um, But unfortunately, she didn't sleep the night before at all due to all this. So she's right. sitting in English class and some guy stands up to give a presentation and she ends up kind of like drifting off. And then like the presentation that he's giving changes. Yeah. It starts to get really sinister and creepy and yeah. he's like talking to her. And then she hears her name like Nancy. Out in the hallway. And she looks and it is Tina inside of a semi-transparent body bag. Yeah. With, super like, covered in blood. And so she goes out to the hallway So what she's doing is she's following a path left by a bloody trail from the body bag because right outside in the hallway when she first goes out there, she sees Tina on the ground in the body bag and then her feet like kick up like someone is picking her up by the feet and then just an unseen person drags her away. And she sees this like hall monitor lady who stops her and is like, where's your hall pass? But the woman is wearing like the same sweater that Freddie is wearing. Yeah. And then she's like, what like forget your hall pass or whatever. And then the girl has Freddie's glove on. Yeah, she turns around and she's, she says something. Yeah. Um, it might just be that she says, where's your hall pass, Nancy? But she has like the glove on her hand or something like that. Like, I don't remember her exact words, but it's very creepy. And it's been super cool. I've realized that dream logic is different than awake logic. But imagine seeing your dead best friend in a body bag. Do you then choose to follow that apparition into the basement? Well, but then the other thing is, like, in dreams, sometimes you don't really have control over what you're doing. That's true. That's why I'm saying, like, I get dream logic, real life logic different. Yeah. I mean, it seems like an intentional choice in the movie, but um, who knows, you know? Yeah. Maybe she doesn't really have say over it. That's true. But she follows it anyway, and she goes down to the basement. Yeah, which is a creepy-ass boiler room. Yes, it is. And um, in this, she kind of hears someone calling to her. And she finds Freddy! Fred Krueger. He introduces himself as Fred. I think it's interesting that everyone else uses the diminutive with him. I think there are times that people call him Freddy, or I think he calls himself Freddy at some point. Yeah, there's also the... um, nursery rhyme in this universe of one two freddy's coming for you three four shut the door five six uh five Five, six six, grab your crucifix seven seven, eight eight, gonna stay stay up late late. nine ten never sleep again yeah so i guess in that in that sense he's like known as freddy and maybe it's just that it fits better a couple people call him freddy and i think he calls himself freddy once maybe twice in the movie but he is called fred a lot too yeah which is something that kind of fades in subsequent movies 
And he just goes by Freddy. It's just Freddy, I guess. Um, well, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, children called him Freddy and adults called him Fred. Also true. Because if you think about it, the people who are seeing the nursery rhyme are small children. That's true. And the people who call him Fred are the adults. Also true. So um, she sees Fred Krueger and he's chasing after her. And he, like, cuts his stomach open and, like, green blood comes out and, like, a bunch of maggots fall out. Oh, yeah. It's hell gross. It's really gross. And as she's running, um, she... She goes to escape him, and she ends up burning her arm on a pipe in the boiler room. Yeah, to wake herself up, because he's, like, bearing down on her, and she's like, fuck, I gotta get out of this. And she knows it's a dream, so she presses her arm against the um, hot pipe, and it wakes her up. And she's just, like, screaming and losing it and, like, shrieking, and uh, her English teacher is like, hey, don't be here anymore. This is... And she goes to leave the class, and her teacher's like, oh, but you need a hall pass. And she, like, just gives a look to the teacher and walks out and, like, leaves school. Yeah. Um, Also, my fun fact about the boiler room, apparently the boiler room scene was actually shot in a real boiler room. But in a building that, that as soon as they were done filming, was condemned because it had, like, so much asbestos in it that it was not safe. You literally could die in that boiler room, just like in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Truth in television. So uh, on her way to school that day, which we skipped over a little bit, was uh, Rod actually had grabbed Nancy and pulled her into a bush. Yeah, he's been on the run and he finds her. Yeah. And so he tells her um, that, like, he didn't do it and she believes him. Right. Um, And he describes a little bit of it. But then they get interrupted by Nancy's dad, who ends up arresting Rod. And she is mad because she basically was followed. Like, her dad pretty much followed her because he knew that eventually Rod would try to find her. And so she's pissed off at him. And then after school, she goes to visit him at um, the jail. Once she pieces out. Yeah. And her dad's like, or whoever is working there is like, are you sure? And she's like, just let me see him. Like, just, just take me back there. And so they go back. And... He kind of explains what he saw. He's like, I didn't do this. She's like, yeah, I don't think that you did. Like, I think something else is going on. He's like, it was so weird. I saw... He tries to say that he, like, saw someone, but that he couldn't see the guy's face. But she's like, what do you mean you couldn't see him? And he's like, well, he was, like, invisible. Right. Which is, like, a weird thing to say and obviously not going to go over super well with the police. But, like, he kind of explains that instead of, like, seeing something happen, he just saw these four cut marks, like, appear on Tina's chest. And then she just started bleeding and, like, flying all over the place, and he didn't know what was going on. And Rod also mentions in this whole thing that he had a nightmare about a guy who had knives for fingers. Yeah. And she's like, oh, this is very bad. I have to go home. Yeah, she kind of figures it out. Yeah. So she goes home, and she's trying to relax, and she ends up taking a bath. Yes. And in the bath, she starts to fall asleep and you just see like this shot that's like from near where her feet are yeah and this hand like pop up with the knife fingers mm-hmm. um like like between her legs like not in like a gross way but like in a, it's just popping up out of the water yeah and it looks like it's gonna grab her but then her mom knocks on the door is like oh hey honey like just make sure you don't fall asleep in there people drown all the time from yeah. this she's like okay mom i won't and then she falls back asleep and she gets pulled underwater and all of a sudden it's not just the bathtub it's deeper than that yeah it's like a whole fucking like ocean tank thing yeah and she's being pulled under and she can't breathe and she can't breathe and then her mom breaks the door down because you can hear her like screaming in there yeah and uh she like wakes herself up i guess at some point because by the time her mom gets in she already has like a towel on is like yeah. out of the tub and she's like oh sorry i just like fell asleep and like went under her mom's like well that's exactly what i told you not to do thanks mom 
Um, so Nancy is, like, convinced that someone in her dreams is trying to kill her. Which is accurate. It is. Yeah. Um, so she has Glenn, her boyfriend, baby Johnny Depp, come over um, to watch over her while she sleeps. Um, and she's like, hey, if I end up doing anything where I seem like I'm distressed, just wake me up. Yeah. And he's like, cool, I'll do that. Yeah, and so she's, like, she's walking around in her dreams, and at first she's like, hey, you still there? And he's like, yep, I'm here, and, like, pops up out of, like, behind a tree or whatever. Yep. She's like, okay, cool. And so she's walking around, and she sees, like, she ends up at the jail in her dream. She sees Rod in his cell, and she's like, fuck, that's really not good. And so she's trying to kind of wake up because she wants to go help Rod because she knows that Freddy's, like, going to kill him because he's asleep. And then Freddie turns his attention towards Nancy, and she's running away and running away, and she's trying to get Glenn to wake her up. She's she, like, like, runs into her bedroom in her dream and sees that Glenn is asleep in the corner. And like she's he was like, supposed to be- what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and she's trying to wake him up and can't, but then her alarm goes off, because she also set an alarm and she wakes up. Yeah. And, and she so is pissed at Glenn. She's like, I told you to do one thing, and, like, you were supposed to be there to pull me out of it when you needed to, and I could have died. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Whatever. Um, Glenn is kind of useless in this entire movie. He's, he does almost nothing of value. I can't think of a single thing of value that he does. He wears a crop top. And he looks good. He does. I don't know if it's enough to justify... I mean, he's just a disposable boyfriend. That's like, there's one of these in every he single He is. Movie. Um, I'm just saying that he does provide value in the form of a crop top. That's true. But so she wakes up and she's like, we have to go see Rod right now because bad shit is about to go down. And so yeah. they run over to the jail cell. And again, her dad or whoever is there is like, it's like two in the morning. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah, it's like a he's random like, guy. And he is working. He's like, I took the night shift so people wouldn't bother me. She's like, too fucking bad. Where is Glenn? No. Where and is Rod? Like, he, um... And he's like, well, he's asleep, I promise. Like, I just checked on him. She's like, okay, we're going to go check on him right now. And as they run down, we see there's a sheet that's just moving on its own. Mm -hmm. And it goes and it wraps itself around his neck and then drags him up over a pipe. And he now appears to have hung himself via a sheet. Yes. And they get there. It must have broken his neck because they get there, like, right after it happens. And he's dead. Real quick. Um, And so... She's, like, freaking out now. And they all go to, um, like, a funeral for him, but, like, the next day. Yeah, really fast. Yeah, and... uh, And also the priest at that funeral is, like, talking a lot of shit about his behavior in real life. He's like, oh, even though he, like, committed these sins and stuff like that. It's like, first off, he had not gone to trial. No. He had not been found guilty of jack shit. We know that he didn't do it. He was kind of an asshole. He was, but he didn't murder his girlfriend. He did not. And he's getting a lot of, like funeral criticism for having murdered his girlfriend yeah so at the funeral um nancy's talking to her parents and she's talking a lot about how she doesn't think it was rod who actually killed tina um and how she knows it's this guy named fred krueger and her parents like look really like kind of upset by this and like stick her in a car and her mom's like i'm gonna take care of this i'm gonna take her somewhere yeah and so they go to a sleep disorder clinic and they're trying to So they're trying to put her under so that they can monitor her because she hasn't been sleeping. She's been having all these fucked up nightmares. She's a mess. Like, she looks horrible at this point. Like, her eyes are completely sunken. She looks exhausted. Her mom is understandably worried about her. And she is freaking out about the idea of falling asleep. Like, But they sit there and watch her the entire time, and she eventually kind of, like, gives in. Yeah. And so uh, they end up putting her under. They give her, like, a shot to do that. And uh, 
Originally, at first it seems like it's okay, and then she starts freaking out and thrashing, and her heart rate and brain activity goes like off this fucking scales. Yeah, and the the um, doctors who are working on her are like, we don't know what is going on. Like, they can't figure out why she's acting like this or what is happening to her. Her mom is, like, losing it. So they run in to wake her up, and uh, first, a part of her hair has now turned white. Yeah, which is kind of cool. And I think that they keep that for future movies, too. I'm pretty I sure really in the third like movie it. she yeah. still has the white hair. Um, and also, she has brought a fedora-esque hat out of her dream with her. Yeah. And it has the name uh, Fred Krueger written inside of it. So they go home. And her mom, Marge, is always a bit of a drinker. Like, it's something that her mom, her dad comments on earlier on. Um, and she's just, like, drinking like crazy now because she doesn't know what's going on with her daughter. Her daughter is, like, angry and Drinking resentful. so much coffee and taking caffeine pills and refusing to go to sleep. And she's, like, trying to convince her mom. And her mom's like, that's insane. Like, that's not really happening. And she's like, well, what do you call this? And she shows her the, um, the hat. The hat. With the she's name. like, his name is Fred Kruger. Look, it's even in his hat. And her mom is like, oh, fuck. So her mom decides to take her down to the basement and tell her little story. Yes. About how there was a guy named Fred Krueger who used to live in the area. Yeah. And it turned out he had murdered like 20 children. He'd killed a bunch of little kids. Um, And they found out it was him. um, But because someone signed the search warrant in the wrong place, um, they had to get him off. Like he couldn't be on trial. Right. So he got released on his technicality, and the parents were really upset about this. So they hunted him down, and they burned him alive. Yep. And this is where we get, absolutely hands down, the dopest line I've ever heard. I feel like a lot of parents, and the parents in this movie are not great for a lot of reasons. Not a lot of times you get a badass line like Marge. Oh, it's so Saying, good. he's dead now because mommy killed him. <laughs> badass. Hats off to you, Marge. She so, did what needed to be done. Well done. And she just says this while, like, kind of drunk and in, like, a really loving voice, like, but he's dead now because mommy killed him. Like, girl. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And anyway, Nancy realizes that, like, Kruger is, like, a vengeful ass ghost. Yes. It didn't really end his situation. If anything, it made it more complicated. Nah. And so she takes this big plan. She's like, okay, well, if I take the hat out of the dream like I just did, I can take him out of the dream. So she calls Glenn and tells him her glorious plan. And this is when he's wearing the amazing crop top. And so she tells Glenn to come over at midnight to wake her up so she can drag him out. Yes. And Glenn's like, cool, sounds good. Um, and it's, I love this. So she's like pretending that she's going to try and go to sleep. So her mom comes in and tucks her in and takes all these coffee cups and a coffee maker out of her room and like turns off the light. And as soon as her mom's out of the room, she turns the light back on and goes underneath her bed and pulls out another coffee maker. This is the benefit of having parents who live in two different households, which is you could steal your dad's coffee maker and your mom doesn't even know you have it. That would make sense. It seemed like there were like seven coffee makers in this house. And like, I love coffee, but damn. Yeah. I have maximum two different ways to create coffee in my home. I have two now. now. There was a time in which I had a third, but it was like I had a Keurig, I had a coffee maker, and now I have a French press. I have a French press, a pour over, and I guess technically we can make cold brew. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. But still, like, the amount of coffee makers they had was pretty impressive. It's a lot. So uh, she pulls this out from under the bed and starts drinking it. Um, And it's getting closer to midnight. 
And she hasn't, like, heard anything. And, and so, Glenn's, like, over at his place, like, bopping out to music and watching the baseball game and shit like now that. Now, he's watching Miss Naked America. You're right. And he explains it to his mother, which is an awkward conversation to have. Because his mom's like, how do you, uh, like, hear your TV when you're listening to music? He's like, oh, I only watch it. Like, Miss Naked America's on tonight. And he's and she says something like, well, how are we going to hear what she has to say? And he's like, why would I care what she wants to say? Oh, God. Another, and I know he's a teenage boy, but, like... Is that really a necessary and line? And his mother's just like, oh, ho, ho. If I had a teenage boy and he said something like that to me, I wouldn't smack him because I don't think you should hit your kids. But I would definitely yell at him. Yeah. But so he's, like, watching TV and listening to music. But he, despite both of those things happening, he falls asleep. Yes. And so Nancy tries to call because it's, like, getting to be the time where he's supposed to be there. And he, she hasn't heard from him at all. And his parents pick up, and they already don't like her because they think that weird shit is going on with her. Yeah, I think she's fucking weird. Yeah. And so her, his mom, like, answers the phone, and she's like, I need to talk, like, I need to talk to Glenn. And then his dad, like, takes it from her and is like, you don't need to talk to anybody. Like, just talk to him at school tomorrow. Don't call this house again. And then he leaves the phone off the hook. And, yeah, he hangs up and then takes it off the hook. But he, and he also mentions that Glenn was asleep. Yeah. And she's like... And so she's trying to figure out how to get out of the house. So she runs downstairs and tries to, like, get through the front door. And her mom's, like, passed out drunk on the couch and then, like, wakes up. She's like, it's locked. I locked it. She's like, well, give me the goddamn key. And the mom's like, I don't even have it. I don't know where it is. And, like, she was like, she's wearing a robe. She doesn't have a key on her. So she goes back upstairs and she's like, why does she She um, tries calling back and it just goes to, like, the busy or whatever. And she gets really upset and, like, is, like, s- like slamming it around and, like, ends up ripping it, like, ripping the cord. And she's like, well, shit, I don't even have the ability to call anymore. Yeah. And, and so she, she, like, puts wraps it, down, it up and puts it on the bed. But then it starts ringing again. Mm. And she picks it up and she's like, what's happening? Just, I want to see my boyfriend. And, and then the mouthpiece turns into a literal mouth. And, and goes, it's, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. And, like, a tongue pops out and, like, right in her face. Yeah. There's a lot of tongue action in this movie. Like, Freddy Krueger does the tongue flick a lot, which is he does very disturbing. It is um, kind of a cool moment. The effects don't hold up super well, but the idea is still holds up. But anyway, uh, after uh, Freddy does the weird tongue move on Nancy. Not necessarily the best flirting I've ever seen in a movie. No. Um, she realizes what's happening. And what happens is um, asleep Johnny Depp, his bed opens up and then swallows him. Yes. And then a second later spews this waterfall, like this upward waterfall of blood. I read it the referred to as a blood geyser. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, honestly. That's and. It's pretty obvious that how they did this was they made an upside down version of the room and just poured all the blood through the bed. Yeah. But it's super cool looking because it's oh all God, like it's spreading so across the ceiling and yeah. it ends up everywhere. Yeah. It's amazing. And Honestly, then the, special uh, this movie the are- mom like bursts in and sees this happening. And it's cool because you see her like in the right side up room and then see shots to the upside down room. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks pretty realistic. It's really well done. Yeah. And so Nancy is like, the police come over to Glenn's house and Nancy sees them and she's like trying desperately to like get her father to come out. And like, she's trying to tell the um, deputy, like, first off, okay. I know that they don't think that the dream aspect is real, but a kid was just brutally murdered and her neighbor or his neighbor is in her window yelling, he's in the house. He's over here now. And they're ignoring her. Well, it hasn't happened yet, but yeah, it was still a bad call. Still. Um, and so she ends up calling the house again and the police answer because they put the phone back on the hook. And she asked to talk to her dad and she does. And she's like, I know what happened. Like, he's dead. 
Um, and he's like, yeah, he is. And she says, like, I know exactly who it is. It was this guy. And she says, like, it's 1210 right now. At 1230, I need you to come over and break the door down and wake me up because I'm going to bring him back. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, her dad started up lying, which is annoying as fuck. But he says he'll do it. He's trying to satiate his daughter who hasn't slept in days. Right. Um, apparently, the, according to the movie, the uh, record was 11 days. Because she was like, oh, it's only been like five days. Don't worry. The record's 11. Yeah, which is still not good. Don't I didn't try sleep for, for like the three days once, and I went crazy. Oh, God, I couldn't even do like the uh, um, all-nighters in college. I couldn't do that. Um, I did a couple of them and I was a nightmare person. I but, hated it. So after she convinces her dad to come break down the door, um, she starts setting up all these booby traps around the house. Very smart. Like she fills a light bulb with gunpowder. She. Um, Why did they have. Well, I guess her dad's a cop. Yeah. So I guess that makes more sense. And also her mom like burned someone alive. So. A good point. Um, she sets like some wire traps around the house. Um she sets up, like, this thing where if you open a door, a giant hammer will swing down and hit the person. Stuff like that. Like, she's setting up some good shit. Yeah, she's very smart. And then she goes to sleep. Which, I just want to say, I do think it would take more than ten minutes to set this up. Probably, yeah. So I don't know why. They could have said, in an hour, come wake me up. Not, in 20 minutes, come wake me up. Just unnecessarily I unrealistic. I could get to sleep in, like, ten minutes. Yeah. Like, I literally don't think I could fall asleep. Although, I guess that she hasn't slept in, like five days so maybe that helps um yeah she goes into the dream world and goes looking for freddy and she finds him yes and he's like not hard to do no he's pretty much looking for her at that point but at some point she's like really worried because she can see the timer she has like a timer on her she has she set her watch that would be going she so she knew how much time and she had an alarm set to wake her up because she you know just in case her dad falls through like he does like he fucking does um and she's looking and she's like nervous he hasn't come out and he comes out pretty quickly and they like go through a window and he's hiding behind a rose bush and he jumps out at her right before her alarm goes off and then she wakes up and he's not there so she wakes up yeah her alarm alarm goes off off. Mm -hmm. and uh she wakes up and she's like oh shit he's nowhere like it didn't work yeah but then he pops out of the from underneath the bed. Surprise! There he is. He actually did come out of the dream. Yay! Yay! It worked. Um, so then she goes about running away from him. Right. And luckily, she set up a ton of really cool traps. Yeah. So he's like tripping on stuff, and she gets him with a Molotov cocktail at one point in time. Yeah. So it starts with him running out of the bedroom, and he hits the trip wire, which then like has this giant like sledgehammer type thing, like get him in the gut. It's like propped up above the door right which is something kind of similar i feel like to one of the moves that happened in uh friday the 13th something similar but not exactly the same happened yeah. Yeah. um where she like tied up a bunch of stuff that got in the way yeah she did a, a solid job of booby trapping honestly she did yeah um and this that only came out four years before this so yeah. wouldn't be surprised if there were some some inspiration there well we'll get into this more but sean cunningham who did friday the 13th was friends with um west craven and worked on last house on the left with him ah that would make a lot of sense then yes are friends who um and then he runs into the living room and he like trips over something at some point and she turns she gets him to turn on the light somehow which like blows up there's a ton of this stuff and he ends up chasing her into the basement where she has hit him on top cocktail and she sets him on fire and then runs out and like locks him in the basement and this is the point where again a murder is being investigated literally next door. The daughter of the police captain 
opens the door and yells, I have the guy, he's in my house right now. And the fucking deputy is like, you're crazy. Investigate. Um, Her mom had put a ton of like bars on the door and windows. So she had to like break the window and was screaming through it. Then after like a minute of her screaming, he's like, maybe I should like tell her dad that she's doing this. Do your job the smallest amount. Eventually her dad comes over and does break down the door. Probably about 10 minutes later than he was supposed to. God damn it. Everyone sucks in this movie except for her. And so, uh, they go and they look at the basement door, but it's it's open. He's gone. And there are, like, fiery footsteps that go upstairs. And uh, they go upstairs and they hear the mom screaming. They're like, oh, shit, he's going for mom. So they run in. They see Freddie, who's on fire, like, on top of the mom, like, uh, strangling her. Mm-hmm. And then they both, like, sink into the bed. Yeah, kind of the same way that um, Glenn did. Yeah, except, like, very slowly with, like, yeah. smoke coming out of it. And Definitely then it turns weirder. back into a normal bed. And they're like, what the fuck? And so her dad is like, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. And then he reappears behind Nancy in the bedroom. And so earlier on in the movie, they talked about this. Oh, what country was it? Um, I think it was in Asia. Yeah. It was like, um, Southeast Asia. So it was, this is actually based, and I was going to get into this later, but it was actually based on a real thing that happened in, uh, I believe it was Southeast Asia. I know Vietnam was one of the countries. Um, and there were people who were having tons of nightmares and dying. Yeah. And so they're talking about something similar to that earlier on in the movie. And I think it's Glenn is talking about it. Um, it's one of the guys. And it's when the girls first start talking about having nightmares. And they're like, well, you know what you have to do in the nightmare is you take away its power by turning your back on it and showing it that you're not afraid anymore. And so Nancy is like, at this point, she's like, oh, shit, that's what I have to do. Like, I have to turn my back on him and show him that I'm not afraid, which is a huge gamble. It is very uh, much a gamble, yeah. But she does it. And she's like, I've I've realized your power and I'm not going to give it to you anymore. I want my friends back. I want my mom back. Like, you're going to give it to me. And he goes to attack her and he just disappears. Yeah. And so she wakes up the next morning. Or she sort of, it just continues into the next morning. Like, all of a sudden, it sort of is the next day. Yeah, and she's leaving her house to go get into a car with her friends. Yeah, are all there in a convertible. And her mom's like, I don't think I want to drink ever again. Like, I got too drunk last night. And she's like, that sounds good. Yeah. Um... And so she gets into Glenn's convertible, and they start to go down the street, when all of a sudden the top, like, pops up. And it's red and green stripes. It is. And it locks them in there and then just starts, like, barreling down the street out of control. And then you hear um, these two girls who are playing jump rope, and they're chanting the one, two, Freddy's coming for you thing. And then from behind Marge inside of the house in the door window... Freddie grabs her and pulls her inside. That was the worst special effect probably in this movie. Yeah, that part's not great, but so much other good stuff happens that's, like, way more plot relevant that I'm, like, willing to give them a pass on that. Like, they got the important stuff down. They did. Yeah, so uh, as I just mentioned a moment ago, um, this movie was actually really based on... There were several newspaper articles printed in the LA Times in the 1970s about Southeast Asian refugees who... um, they flee to the U.S. Um, because of a lot of war and such going on in, like, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. And so they got, like, really horrible nightmares and wouldn't sleep, and then a bunch of them died in their sleep. And um, because this was being covered so much, this is one of the inspirations for the movie. Yeah, and kind of, it's sort of a miracle that this movie ever even got made. 
because Wes Craven, obviously at this point, he was already well-known. Like, people already knew about Last House on the Left, which, again, he made with Sean S. Cunningham of Friday the 13th fame. He'd also made The Hills Have Eyes at this point. So he had kind of, like, cemented himself as a force to be reckoned with within the world of horror. But unfortunately, after that, he made the flop movies Deadly Blessing and Swamp Thing. And in an interview that I read with him about this, he said, basically, I found that if you have two films that don't perform well, it doesn't matter if you've had a bunch of successful ones. The phone stops ringing, and after Deadly Blessing and Swamp Thing, that's what happened. And so he had this other idea of this movie that he wanted to make, and it just no one was hiring him on anything. He couldn't get a foot in the door. And he said he was already kind of, he came from like an academic background, like he'd been a professor. And so he had all these friends who he had accidentally sort of alienated by making these really intense horror movies when he made Last House and Hills Have Eyes. And so he was kind of in this point in his career where just no one was interested in anything that he had to say. To the point that, like, he was making so little money that his accountant called him and was like, you need to pay a $5,000 tax bill. And Sean Cunningham had to give him the money because he didn't have the money for it. That's insane. So literally, without Sean Cunningham, aside from the impact that Friday the 13th had on slashers and certainly had on this movie, literally, like personally, um, Wes Craven would not have been able to make this movie. Oh, thank you, Sean S. Cunningham. I know. He was actually, it seems like he was fairly involved in like the, I don't know if involved in like a creative sense, but like very looped in on like the conception of this movie. Which, I mean, considering the fact that Friday the 13th had done so well in 1980. Right. And, uh, Wes Craven was having it some strugs. Yeah. It might have been a good thing that he got someone who was really involved in the successful horror movie franchise yeah. to help out. Although Cunningham didn't think that people were going to like this movie. Well, he was wrong. He was, but his complaint was something that a lot of other people felt, which was that it was too um, weird and like out there and the reality and dream thing was too confusing. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Craven was like, well, everybody dreams. Like, everyone understands what it's like to have a nightmare. And Cunningham was like, yeah, but, like, then you wake up from the nightmare and it's not real and it can't hurt you. (laughs) But what if it did? Exactly. And so then he reads this article, or, like, around that time he'd read that article that you were talking about, about the um, Southeast Asian immigrants, for some reason, who kept dying in their sleep. And I don't know if they ever figured out why it was happening so much more did that group of people. Which is um, really there weird. were some theories around it. Um, they think it, I mean, some people t- called it sudden unexpected death syndrome. Yeah. Um, Initially, they just called it Asian death syndrome, which I don't think you should just name a group, like an ethnic group in your... Definitely not. Because it could happen to other people too. Yeah, it was just that, I mean, they went and they'd experienced this horrific thing because there's a lot of really bad stuff happening in some of those countries at the time. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense if you've been through some very intense and horrific stuff recently then maybe like that might affect you more and the nightmare aspect of it might be more significant yeah it's still a really weird thing to have happen have people just dying in their sleep yeah and uh because things freaked him out he was like this is scary let's go with it he was right it's terrifying it's so Um, scary but then also freddy krueger was originally supposed to be a child molester in this movie yes and they did bring that back for the 2010 remake Yeah, and honestly, most of the time I feel like when they add sexual violence into a movie, like into a remake, I don't like it. Um, And I'm not saying that I enjoy the concept of Freddy Krueger being a child molester, but it makes more sense to me. It does, because I think that's more common than someone who just gets off on, like, murdering kids. Also, so there's the, like, 
I guess the nursery rhyme, although the, the last name is not included in the nursery rhyme, right? No, it's not. But the kids don't know who Freddy Krueger is. Like, when she says the name, she doesn't rec- like she doesn't know who she's talking about. Her mom has to tell her. Her mom reacts to it. Even then, the nursery rhyme doesn't say anything about, like, dying. Right. It says, like, he's coming for your cut, like, shut your door and grab your crucifix. And, like, it's going to be in your sleep. So that's a little ambiguous. But, like, well, it says you'll never sleep again. Right, that's true. I don't know. So... I feel like if the if it happened recently enough that the parents were the ones who killed him, why would these kids not know that, like, a bunch of kids presumably of their age group were murdered? You know? Even if, like, it didn't connect to their family specifically, like, assuming that, like, the mom got involved because she was married to the police chief and knew everything that was happening or whatnot, why would these kids not know about, like, a large number of children who'd been murdered in their town? That's crazy. Yeah. There was, like, one murderer from that... our town when I was a kid, and we all knew everything about her. If a bunch of murders happened in your town, you would know about it. Now, if there was a bunch of sexual abuse happening, I could see the parents being like, we're not going to tell our kids about this. Let's just, we're not going to talk I mean, about that it. That one event on I found out about from my parents. Right. Like, I just can't see that level of child murder going unknown by the kids in the town yeah kids know everything so it does make a lot more sense i'm guessing they changed it towards the last minute but there had been um a handful of articles especially in california about like child molestation issues Mm. and so wes craven didn't want it to seem like he was capitalizing on those stories and so he changed it to be something different instead that makes sense and also, a uh, fun fact is the character Fred Krueger was named after Wes Craven's bully growing up. <laughs> and apparently he did the same thing in Last House on the Left. Yeah, it's the Krugs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Krug is the name of the guy. Yeah. So um, I briefly mentioned this when we were talking earlier about, like, the cat claws. But Wes Craven was trying to figure out what Krueger's weapon would be. At some point, he had him with a sickle. Interesting. Yeah, because he was supposed to be, like, kind of, like, God of Death-esque. I can see that. Um, they want something different, not just like a knife or a machete or anything. And so he decided on this bladed glove. And part of it was because he thought about like the very first danger that like humanity ever encountered. He was thinking like the teeth and claws of an animal. And so like him being freaked out by cat claws, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that is really interesting. I like that. Also, and he like, is sort of like a primal force, you yeah, know? Yeah, he's something you can't avoid. It's always going to be there. Yeah. Um, and also, like, having a cat with claws, like, it's terrifying sometimes. I have scratches. I have scars from scratches. Not cat owners Nikolai's... are brave, dude. Not... I own one lazy dog, and his nails are dull as hell. Nikolai's the sweetest little cat I've ever met. But he gets really playful and then sometimes misses the toy and hits me instead. <laughs> and it's not his fault. It's my fault. Still hurts, though. But it does still hurt. Yeah. And then uh, also fascinating, I thought, is uh, Freddie's signature striped sweater. So Wes Craven had read in an article in Scientific American that the human eye has, like, a really hard time processing those two specific shades next to each other. So he was like, I'm going to make this outfit the most difficult-to-process color combination possible. I love that. That's how he ended up with a Christmas sweater. Ugh, it's amazing. I do like also that apparently the character of Fred Krueger is based upon a guy that was, like, like watching their apartment. Yeah, so there was a drunk who was, like, walking around outside his apartment. He, like, looked outside, and this drunk, like 
looked at him back in the window or like screamed at him or something like that. And he wore the same type of hat that Freddy Krueger wears. Yeah. And he just, he talks about in one of the interviews that I read, thinking it was so fascinating. Like this happened when he was a child and just thinking it was so weird and fascinating for like an adult to get like joy out of frightening a child. Yeah. Like who does that? Like, why would you want that? And that's actually part of the reason that they cast Robert Englund as um, Freddy Krueger is because all of the other people that they auditioned for it were like too nice to the kids and like mm. a little too friendly. And Robert Englund came in and was just like, fuck you guys, I don't give a shit. And was just like That's a amazing. terrifying monster. <laughs> I heard in one of the later movies they tried to replace him with just like extras or something like that. You and can't it do failed that. miserably. No, you can't. And that's, I actually, um, in one of the things that I read, he talks about how like all of the great like monsters that are truly famous, um, or at least at that point, like your uh, Dracula's Frankenstein's they're played by actual actors and you know the actor as well as you know like the character so like you know okay Dracula that's Bela Lugosi you know Frankenstein that's Boris Karloff like you have these actors they're not just stuntmen they're not just extras they bring something to it that other people don't yeah and I think that's exactly what happens here yeah and it's part of also it goes hand in hand with not having him wear a mask yeah like he wanted him to have a mask like aspect to it which is the burns so he doesn't look especially because the two biggest other slasher movies at the time were halloween and friday the 13th right you can't see their faces yeah um but and this movie was obviously partially inspired by friday the 13th and uh halloween in terms of it being a slasher and the whole mask aspect yeah i just think that you can't really get away from that especially in the 80s i mean it was just a couple years it was six years away from halloween like halloween was sort of the birth of the mainstream slasher movie you know halloween was 1979 right 1978 yes you're right mm-hmm. okay that makes sense um i was thinking about it being 40 years ago because it was the 40th anniversary when the new one came out i just forgot the new year. one came out last year <laughs> i don't know what year it is maggie i'm so lost who does anymore honestly Ugh. but anyway um a couple other movies inspired this though which i thought was fascinating um the blood geyser was directly inspired by the scene from the shining with the elevator which makes so much sense like when you watch them and you think of that it looks the same i mean it's it's, it's the same general idea yeah. um yeah different scenario but it's just blood pouring out of a place that blood should not be pouring out of no and like where did that much blood come from like even if he like drained all of the blood out of Johnny Depp's body. That's still not enough blood for that and amount of the blood. the idea of it, like, splashing all over the walls and just, like, coating everything, it's pretty cool. It is. And then, um, this gets hella meta, so you gotta <laughs> stick with me for a second. But there's a scene in which Nancy is, like, watching a scary movie in order to stay awake. And the movie she's watching is The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Or Evil Dead. Yes. Um... So Craven added this nod to Raimi because Raimi had included the poster of The Hills Have Eyes in a scene from uh, Evil Dead. And then Raimi repaid the favor again in the other direction by he put uh, Freddy's knife glove in a scene in the tool shed in Evil Dead 2. So basically Craven and Raimi are just like BFFs. And honestly, it goes back... Sort of even further than that, because in The Hills Have Eyes, there's also a poster of Jaws that's been, like, ripped open. And there's a lot of talk. I don't remember if it's in the original or the remake. but I, I think it's in the original. I think it's in the original. Yeah, because it was support- supposed to sort of be like a, oh, you think Jaws is scary? Well, like, you haven't seen a scary movie. This is a scary movie. Yeah. And so they all like- just reference each other. Yeah. And it's really cool. It is. It's like this sort of 
uh, just even the concept of like Sean Cunningham and um, Wes Craven being friends and like simultaneously sort of like birthing these two different really important horror slasher movies is like it's just all this one weird big twisty like connected net of cool horror stuff and everybody just wants to do roughly the same thing whether it's a jaws which is a little more family friendly ish or hills have eyes which is more brutal like we're all just supporting each other in the horror industry because we're all a big horror fam exactly we all just love the same stuff and there's so much outside shit of people like talking shit about horror movies like heather langenkamp talks about how like it was basically like being a porno actress when you tried to like explain to people how great nightmare on elm street was people would be like oh you oh oh you did that movie like and Wes Craven gives interviews where he's like, yeah, people will be like, oh, how nice you do a horror movie. Like, oh, you do that kind of film. It's like other genres kind of look down on horror in a lot of ways. So if you're part of the horror genre, you might as well just view it as your big horror family, you know? Yeah. And I, I think like that's that. still semi-true. Like, there are horror movies that are considered really, like, wonderful and like are critically acclaimed like yeah. get out let's say right it was nominated for an oscar like that's it big. was but there's no way in hell it was ever gonna win the oscar like it's amazing that it was nominated because that's just so unusual for a horror movie even though there have been plenty of horror movies that deserve it and i mean there have been some that have been nominated but it's it's slim but nothing's know? ever won i don't think so no i think the last one before get out was black swan if you count that which as is a horror like movie. borderline horror yeah i would consider it horror enough it's horror enough There's and people were like, saying it counts horror, yeah. yeah but still and but it still has to be on that artsy edge you know yeah um but there are also a lot of movies that took this as inspiration which is super cool because like it was a very influential movie oh yeah so uh in bride of Tr- uh so in uh bride of chucky you get to see a little shot of the glove yeah and honestly, actually, I think that Child's Play in general probably owes a lot to Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, you talk about the whole, like, horror comedy thing. And right. a villain who you actually see and who talks. And something that happens in Child's Play that also happens in Nightmare on Elm Street is, like, a lot of the scariest scenes happen in broad daylight. Yeah. Which, in all of the slashers that were big before this, like, it was usually nighttime when this stuff happened. And it wasn't, like a like daytime scene where someone was being ripped through a window you know right but you can still have something like her terrifying dream at the at the school or yeah it like happens during the middle of the day and also just like i don't know i feel like first off there's a dead serial killer yeah right who is hunting children specifically yes i mean like he also he's really like hunting he one yeah. specific child not just like children for the sake of children i guess that's true but yeah same that's general so idea kids in danger um, there's some heavy supernatural themes and certainly there were other supernatural horror movies well before this. I mean, Amityville, uh, The Omen, like those are all, there's a long standing tradition of supernatural movies, but you don't really see as much supernatural slasher stuff until we get to this point. Yeah, that's true. And then I would say Chucky is a slasher movie. Yeah. He's a slasher movie. Oh, he has a big knife. He loves to stab. Yeah. He doesn't stab successfully very often. No, he but... has to push people sometimes, but you know. He still tries. Sure. Effort is what counts in a slasher movie. Exactly. Sometimes you have to hang somebody with their uh, prison sheets. Yeah. You know? That's true. Um, he's a chatty, jokey villain. Mm-hmm. He wears a striped sweater. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of similarities. Like, I see them as kind of, I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but I definitely see a line there. So I'm I sure it's intentional. So I think it's appropriate that then in Bride of Chucky, you see his glove as sort of a reference yeah. to his beginning. And then uh, the fact that Freddy versus Jason even exists, I think, is hilarious. 
Oh my god. It does make a lot more sense knowing that like they were friends. Yeah. Like, that kind of Apparently Pinhead was just supposed to show up at the end of the movie and they cut that out. I would love that. Can you even imagine bringing bringing the Hellraiser series into the rest of that? That'd be insane. Oh god. Oh my gosh. You know what? That's the next extent like expanded universe that they should make. Hellraiser cinematic universe? No, just like Instead of trying to do, like, all of the superhero movies, do all of, like, the classic horror villains. I, Universal's kind of trying to do that right now and no, not doing it very they well. they need a single mummy No, they movie. have a ton uh, planned out. They're planning yeah. on bringing back all the classic monsters. And we'll see if those get made. That's true. Because the mummy did not do well. I mean, to be fair, Tom Cruise... I heard he just had way like he can be a good actor, but I heard he just had way too much creative control in this, where yeah. it was all like he was trying to th- do things that just made it very much about how it could highlight his abilities and his skills, not so much about the plot, and that's like one of the things that messed it up. Yeah. Because there's no better horror movie than the 1999 Mummy, except for maybe Stay Alive. I would consider the 1999 Mummy to be more action adventure with a horror angle rather than outright horror. When I was young, I was terrified by that movie. Watching it now as an adult who's seen it like 50 times, okay, I feel I that way. When I was young, I was terrified by the song Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. That doesn't make it horror. It's just a thing you think is creepy when you're a child. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's some really scary scenes in that movie. Uh, maybe I need to rewatch it. I think there's a couple of scenes that are scary. Okay. Um, but there's I, scenes that are scary in Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. I think it's more accurate to compare it to, like, Indiana Jones than it yeah. is Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, because that's literally a kid's movie. Or, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other action-adventure movies that have scary angles. I feel like a lot of them do. That's part of the adventure. I think it's the mummy is scarier than most horror movies. But anyway, we're not talking about the mummy. <laughs> um, we are talking about Freddy vs. Jason. Haven't seen it on the list. Um, it's probably amazing. Yes. Probably need to have like a glass of wine in hand in order to do so. Probably a couple glasses of wine in hand. <laughs> one in each hand. I gotta say, I think that um, one of the most direct... Results of this movie is another Wes Craven movie and another one of my absolute favorite slasher movies, which is oh, Scream. Oh, it's so true. It is, right? When you think about it, it's like, so this started the, like, campy thing, right? It did. And, yeah, Freddy is, like, quieter in this movie than he is in the sequels. Like, he doesn't really get jokey form. Like, by the third movie, he's, like, dropping TVs on people's head and being like, this is your big break. Welcome to the showtime. Or, you know, like, crazy shit That's like what that. I call smash it. Exactly. Like, he's not at that level yet in this movie, but, like, he's clearly on the road to that. And he gets there before Scream happens. Yeah, and he's more talkative than any other, like, main slasher villain has been at this point. That's true. And also, uh, I do think that this movie kind of helps set up some of the rules that then Scream says, here are the rules for, like, whether or not you die. Exactly. Like, like Tina dies immediately after she has sex. Right. And Heather then, does not have sex with... Nancy does not have sex with her boyfriend, and she lives until the end. Yeah. Um, like, there, there's that kind of angle of things being scary, but not, like, scary in the same way as other things. Like, it's still scary when you see um, Sydney's friend get caught in the, like, dog door going out of the um poor rose mcgowan yeah like that's still scary but it's not scary in the same way that like watching a person get his like throat slit is you know like it it feels more fictional but it's still scary 
And it feels just like you're more aware of the medium that you're watching, right? Yeah, definitely. I like that. I think there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. I mean, even the idea of uh, Heather Langenkamp coming back to reprise her role of Nancy in a subsequent movie. I mean, you see that. Obviously, it's kind of amped up in the screen movies because Sydney shows up in every one of the movies. But still, you know. Just waiting on Scream 5. And Wes Craven loves sequels. Loved sequels. R.I.P. So, like, you get a shit ton of these sequels. There's four Scream movies. Yeah. There are possibly too many Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah, there definitely are. Yeah, it gets really out of hand. Like, it's fun, though. So I think I only saw the first four. I think I've seen the first four. I definitely, I'm pretty sure that I said at the end of the last episode that I was going to try to watch all of them. I did not do that. I watched the first one, and I was like, that's it for this week. The, the only thing I remember, and I'm pretty sure I said this in last time's episode as well, but I'm going to do it again. Do it. Is there was a scene in which, I think it was in Dream Warriors, which is the third one. Which, where, where she comes back. Where she comes back. Yeah. And they're all, like, in a hospital trying to, like, fight against him. And he, like, takes the tendons out of, and like, or arteries or something like that out of someone. And then he uses them as, like, strings in order to, like, marionette someone up to the top of the roof um, and has them, like, jump off. Yeah. And that is, like, one of the most memorable horror deaths I've ever seen. And it's interesting because these movies sort of make this bridge between his early works, which are things like Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, which are not surreal at all. Like, they're very just, like, brutal and things happen. I haven't seen Last House on the Left. But... I haven't either, but my understanding is that it it's not unrealistic in its, like, portrayal of events, you yeah. know? So it sort of serves as, um, the article that I read in Filmmaker Magazine about him describes it as being a bridge between the primal ferocity of Craven's earlier work, like Last House on the Left or um, Hills Have Eyes, and the visually expressive professionalism of his later films. Um, I almost feel like Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of both of those. Exactly, which is why it's that bridge. Yeah, because it definitely does still have some of that primal fear, especially with, like, the claws and right. dreams and all that stuff. It is more professional looking. It's not as, like, well shot as something like Red Eye, though. No, but you have that sort of, like, there's so many scenes in it that are really striking, like the bloodbed or um, the scene of the girl being, uh, of Tina's body being dragged down the hallway. Like, that's a very... That whole dream sequence where it's like her body just drags itself away is fascinating to me. It's so well done. And I do see that as kind of being him being willing to move away from the like brutal horror of the 1970s and shift into something that's a little bit more artistic, you know? Yeah, I could see that. I like that. I think that's really cool. Makes sense. Yeah. So I think that a lot of the elements um, that are kind of affected by the supernatural stuff are made scarier because of it. Yeah. Like... Well, because, like, oftentimes people just don't go out and commit mass murder. Right. That's just not something you see actually happen all the time. Exactly. But everybody has nightmares. Everyone has nightmares. And if it's supernatural, there's not much you can do to protect against it. Because, like, no matter what you do, it's going to be able to get around that. And, like, you just can't prepare for it. No. And they sort of take the groundwork of a slasher movie at this point and lay the supernatural aspect over it. So you have things like, there are never parents around in slasher movies, right? Yeah. So in, like, Friday the 13th, they're at camp, so there's no parents there. Um, Halloween, they're babysitting while their parents are somewhere else, so there's no parents there. In this, first off, the kids are literally asleep. No one else can be there for you when you are asleep. You are alone. You're isolated. And even when uh, Nancy tries to get Glenn to be there for her, he keeps falling asleep. Right. And when she tries to get her dad to be there for her when she's asleep and say, hey, break down the door, he doesn't. So, like... 
she has no control over the situation when she's asleep and when she tries to get people to be there to help her like they just don't show up right or like even like if you're being stalked by an actual physical person like if you're a teenager and you call your parent and you're like hey mom or dad a guy is following me probably your parents are gonna be like oh shit that's messed up i'm gonna try to help you out if you talk to your parents and you're like in my dream a creepy man with a knife hand is trying to murder me and I think he killed my friend, your parents are going to be like, what's wrong with you? I'm going to take you to a sleep clinic. Exactly. Like, they're not going to believe you and they shouldn't believe you. Yeah. Because that's insane in the real world. That's true. And in this case, like, her parent is a heavy drinker and Glenn's parents don't want to listen to her and her dad thinks he knows everything. And is semi-estranged. Right. And, I mean... Up until she pulls out the hat, when we were actually, I was talking to Tim while we were watching it together, and I was like, at what point would you start to believe your kid if they were telling you over and over again that, like, they were being hunted by someone in their dreams? And he was like, well, when the hat shows up, yeah. then you can believe. And that's when they start to believe her. But even when her her mom, mom still doesn't believe really believe it, because she's like, look, but he's dead. He can't do anything. Yeah. He can't hurt you because I killed him. Right. And yeah. so she's still, like believes like she found out about Fred Krueger somehow and she asks like where did you even get that hat she's like I pulled out my dream and she thinks she went and found it somewhere right but then like she was at the hospital where would it have come from yeah her mom was dumb not to no, believe her, her just saying not a smart woman um there's that backstory that there's always in these slasher movies like you know Jason haunting the camp or his mom in the first movie like haunting the camp because something bad happened there or Michael Myers coming back to the town where he killed his sister but it's, like, less physical than that. Like, it's not a physical location, really. Yeah. It's just he's haunting these people. And it's in your dreams. That's even... You can't leave. I actually think that's one of the things that makes Halloween kind of interesting. There's a backstory as to why Michael does what he does. because no, he's he just, just fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. That is very creepy. I like that. Yeah. But there's also not really a backstory as to why Freddy wants to murder children. That's Unless true. you factor in the child molester aspect, which is, like then there's that but still he's still just a fucked up terrifying person that you don't really know that much about that's true and then so he's unkillable right because he's already been killed in the real world he's a ghost now yeah he's not just some super strong guy who hypothetically you could hit with a truck and then he'd be dead he's a phantom he's already been killed it already happened it didn't take <laughs> yeah. it doesn't take at the end of this movie either they no. kill him and he comes back and he can keep coming back for as long as he needs to yeah you're never ever ever safe it's kind of the cool thing about paranormal movies. Yeah. I like paranormal movies. I don't... That's the weird thing. So I don't usually like paranormal stuff. Um, and I honestly think it's because I tend to prefer, like, a slasher-type movie. So I think this being, like, a supernatural slasher is, like, right up my alley. I'm like, okay, I can deal with the supernatural stuff because there's also, like, sweet knife Nah, murders. see, I like the supernatural stuff more because I think it's scarier. And also there's more, like, creative liberty because slashers, like, eventually you're just still watching someone stab someone with a knife all the time. That's true. I think it's scarier to me. We've probably talked about this on the podcast before. I think it's scarier to me because that is something that can happen. And I don't really believe in supernatural stuff. See, I think I kind of do believe in supernatural Mm. stuff a little bit. So it's super scary to me because I mean, I grew up, we were convinced there was a ghost in our house. Yeah. Something that we've talked about on previous episodes is the idea of like the horrible place or the terrible place, which is a concept um, from Carol J. Clover's book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, where there's like a location where all of the bad shit happens. And we talked about, I know we talked about it in the Halloween episode, because basically it's in the original Halloween, it's the Wallace house that they're babysitting in becomes like the horrible place, right? And then in the uh, 2018 sequel, it's Lori's house, which is kind of a funny spin 
because she's, you know, she's kind of turned it into her own, like, messed up house. Yeah. Right? Um, but you've seen in other movies as well, like, the, the house in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the Bates home in Psycho. It's all this, like, strange foreign, not your own home, this place where, like, all this terrible stuff ends up happening, right? And you have to escape that in order to become free. Amityville House? Yeah. That works. I mean, it's typically in slashers, but I think it shows up in a lot of different kinds of movies as well. So, yeah, the Amityville House works as well. Um, and honestly, probably it applies to a lot of haunted houses. And then uh, Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah, would Camp be Crystal one. Lake would be one. Um, but in this movie, it's not a physical location. It's his, like, boiler room dream landscape. Yeah, it's more of like a... I mean, it's a metaphysical location. Yeah. Like... People end up back down in that boiler room a lot. They start off in completely different places, so you can be in a safe place and it can com- like become the uh, terrible place or the horrible place yeah. for you because he wants it to because it's a dream. You know, it's like the ultimate version of being on the other person's turf. Yeah, nowhere is safe. Anywhere could be that bad place, and I think that's really really interesting. And it's that kind of stuff that's, like, all of these references to the slasher genre that sort of make this a really important part of the slasher oeuvre. Is that the right word? It's not, but I like saying it. I don't know if I said it right. I don't really care. (laughs) I honestly don't even know what what word you're trying to say. It's O-U-V-R-E? Yeah, oeuvre. Oeuvre? It's, like, the whole thing. Great. Great. What I know I some French. In, I don't know that much French. What I lack in French skills, I make up for in not being able to explain I'm, what shit means. I'm a poser. <laughs> a poseur. A poseur. <laughs> um, I think Nancy is the coolest final girl. She's really good. She figures shit out. I mean, I do have such a soft spot in my heart for um, Friday the 13th. Alice. Alice. Yes, Alice. I love Alice. Alice is also great. Um, she has better hair than Heather, just because bowl cuts are everything. Bowl cut, bowl cut. Um, she does think on her feet like a motherfucker, and she beheads Mrs. Voorhees. She does, but she doesn't use a Molotov cocktail to set True. Mrs. Voorhees on fire, which probably would have been actually about as uh, useful as beheading. Yeah. I was going to think, like, because she hits her over the head with like, a frying pan at some point, and that's not useful. Yeah. Um, if her go-to had been Molotov cocktail, it might have been more helpful. for sure. Um, I do think that there's a little step up with Nancy in that she's, like, instead of just trying to, like, escape from danger and thinking on her feet, she's, like, planning out how to trap him. She does actively be like, I'm going to go for this, and that's really cool. Yeah, like, she gets him. She doesn't just run away from him, which I think is awesome. She also states a guy in a crop top. She does, and honestly, feminism. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Um, No, I do think Nancy is a step up from Alice in the initiative that she shows. Yeah. Um, The booby traps are a step up from Alice's. Alice's were great, but Nancy's are better. They were very improvised, whereas Nancy, like, had a plan and she stuck to it. Yeah, and it all played out and worked really well. Yeah. And uh, I read an article that talked about how, like, when she actually takes control, it kind of turns Freddy into, like, almost like a vaudeville villain who's, like, falling down the stairs. Yeah, he's goofier in those scenes. Yeah. Like, he's harder to take seriously. Which also relates really back to Scream. Yes, he um, trips, he falls, he's clumsy. And it's the first time you really see that because, like, Jason and Michael, like, they're usually, like, kind of tall, brooding, silent. Like, you don't see them just, like, trip on their asses. No, and they sort of move slowly and 
with purpose and then they appear where they're supposed to be whereas like freddie is like scrambling all over the place and he's like running around and he's like in the friday the 13th video game you can just like kind of transport locations sometimes (laughs) in order to like just appear out of nowhere honestly that makes a lot of sense yep um i also think that it kind of amps up her being so independent sort of sets the stage for the kind of parental alienation stuff that shows up later in slasher movies yeah and her parent situation just sucks yeah like so i mean in halloween there's like a good reason for the parents not to be there right because they don't think there's a danger and it's halloween and you know they have to babysit like Like, in friday the 13th like they're at camp their parents wouldn't be there in this her parents are there but they're like they're useless they're entirely useless they don't do anything they hinder her and it's kind of like a shift again like a bridge between earlier Wes Craven movies where, like, in Last House on the Left, the parents get involved in the fight. Like, they go to avenge their daughter. And in Hills Have Eyes, the whole family is working together to defeat yeah. the enemy. And then by Scream, like, people are just leaving their kids alone even when there's a murderer on the loose. Like, her dad leaves her alone on the anniversary of her mother's murder. Bad call. Like, don't, why would you do that? Just bad parenting. I mean, there's an explanation in the movie. You guys to like go out of town eh. for business or whatever, but it's real flimsy. Take your daughter with you. Right. My mom took me on a couple of business trips once, and yeah. I got to go explore San Diego by myself, and I watched Bring Down the House. Dude, my fiance spent so much time with his dad on business trips, just like going to random places when he was a kid. You can bring your kid. Yeah. Like, take the days off from school or whatever. Like, it's fine. But... Yeah, it's kind of funny how that just sort of becomes a thing later on in horror movies where it's like, yeah, technically there's parents who are like, who gives a shit? Like, they're not paying attention. Yeah. But interestingly, in this movie, the parents are still an important part, even though they are kind of shits who don't pay attention to their children. I mean, first <laughs> off, this whole thing is their fault. Exactly. Um, and there's this really interesting um, article by Robin Wood, who is a horror film critic. Um, I really enjoy his work. I'm working on reading more of it. But um, he actually talks about... Um, I think it's this movie. No, it's he's talking about... Um, this is unrelated to what we're talking about. I just thought it was interesting. I forget what movie he, it is that he's talking about. Um, but he talks about how Roger Ebert like described it as being a guilty pleasure. And he's like, first off, if you feel guilty and you feel pleasure about the same thing, you need to just get rid of one of those concepts because it doesn't make any sense to feel guilt and pleasure about the same thing. Either feel guilty about something or enjoy it, but don't do both. I'm like, oh, I love I you. love that. <laughs> like, he's just such a um, relentlessly pro-horror person, and I, I love that. I love seeing that when people don't try to, like, rationalize their love for something. They're just like, it's great. Get over it. Like, it's so awesome. So when it comes to me listening to, like, early 2000s Good Charlotte, should I feel guilty or should I feel pleasure? My gut instinct is that you should feel guilty, but I know how much joy it brings you, so fuck it. Feel pleasure. Beautiful. Enjoy okay, great. Charlotte. Do it. <laughs> awesome. Um, but he talks about how, like, um, it's this essay called Return of the Repressed, and he talks about, uh, this is pre this movie coming out, yeah. so it's kind of just more background and kind of established writing at the time, um, how he compares horror movies to dreams in that... Um, Dreams, the embodiment of the repressed desires, tensions, fears that our conscious mind rejects, become possible when the sensor that guards our subconscious relaxes in sleep. Which is basically what happens in this movie, is you let your guard down in your sleep, and then you are vulnerable to Freddy Krueger. And the whole idea of, like, 
Uh, and another quote from this is, uh, he says that the conditions under which a dream becomes a nightmare are, A, that the repressed is, from the point of view of the consciousness, so terrible that it must be repudiated as lo loathsome, and B, that it is so strong and powerful as to constitute a serious threat, which is like, he's strong and powerful and he constitutes a serious threat. No, that's, that's completely legitimate. fucking thing. I thought that was really interesting that, like, this is a thing from, like, the 70s that he's writing about, and it ends up being basically the plot of the movie yeah um but literally freddie is the embodiment of the repressed fear of the adult so like like you said it's their fault mm -hmm. what they did is that they chose to take matters into their own hand and kill freddie krueger rather than talking to their kids about him they just shove him aside pretend he never existed and they're not prepared like the kids are not prepared when he starts to come around in these dreams when he starts to be like that repressed bad memory that's coming back to haunt this town they don't know anything about it, so they can't defend themselves. Their parents don't want to talk about it because they feel so much weird, repressed guilt over it. Not that it's weird to feel guilt over killing someone. You should feel guilt over killing someone. But you should also maybe talk to your children about how you murdered a child murderer. I don't know when you should do that. I don't think there's any right time to talk to your child about the murders you've committed. Maybe there's a time. Maybe <laughs> that time was when that murderer starts coming back and try and murder your kids. It's like when you have the birds and the bees talk, also slip in any murder that you have maybe committed the birds the bees and the murders exactly it there you go knocks them all out um and so they like solve this problem right but they solved it in a secretive way and they haven't addressed it since they drink and they take pills and they ignore their kids and they don't want to talk about it and then nancy is the only person who can actually deal with it by facing the repressed issue that has come up literally in the dream dragging him into real life making him real again waking up from the sleep and ultimately turning her back on it and saying, I know, you know, what happened and I'm not giving it any more of my energy. I'm not going to be afraid of it anymore. She had to literally open her eyes to the scenario. Exactly. She had to get woke. Yep. Good job, Nancy. Yeah. I just thought that was so weird. Like I was reading um, in Men, Women, and Chainsaw, there's like a footnote that references Return of the Repressed. And I was like, oh, there'll be interesting stuff here about Nightmare on Elm Street. And I started reading it and I was like, None of this shit has anything to do with Nightmare on Elm Street. He's not talking about it at all. And then I realized that it was written like 10 years before this movie came out. And I thought that was so weird. Like, No, but it's awesome. But it's the same thing. It's the whole concept is just like exactly what the movie is. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I thought that was cool. Uh, do you have anything else to add to this? Or are we rounding home base here? I think I'm good. All right. Um, do you want to let us know what we're going to watch next week? Yeah. Um, we're going to watch a movie that's right up my alley. Exactly. This movie is about you. It is. Um, it's called Cat People. It is. It's a 1942, I want to say. It's a 1942 biography of me. Yes. It's from back in the 40s when Maddie was first formed. Yep. It was my first life. Maddie is a timeless being no it's uh it is a 1940s movie um that's about a woman who turns into a cat yeah it's a weird it's a b movie from the 40s uh, it's directed by val luton um i think it's gonna be fun i've been meaning to watch it for years and years and years i keep accidentally convincing myself that this is a foreign movie and then realizing it's not so <laughs> we had this um, conversation multiple times i got here and she was like i think that we should move cat people because we just did a foreign movie and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> We're going to enjoy it. I'm going to get to talk about cats so much. I'm going to give you like 50 cat facts. I can't wait. If there are not at least 50 cat facts, I'm going to be very disappointed. 
Did you know that cat... Save them for the episode, Madeline. Okay, I will. <laughs> I was going to give you a uh, fact for 51, but Maggie said no. So you're going to be stuck to exactly 50. All right. You know what? You can give us one bonus cat fact to get us excited for next week. You know that cat's whiskers are used partially to tell whether or not they can fit through a hole because um, the whiskers are often the same width as a cat's body. But then really, really fat cats will get caught in the holes because their whiskers are not as wide as their body. I hope that that's a scene in the cat people. And if it's not, I'm going to be real disappointed. <laughs> I just really want a fat person, like, or I just really want a fat cat failing to get through a hole. <laughs> that wasn't the fact I was originally going to give, but I feel like it's a better one for this moment in time. It's a good fact to end on, honestly. So on that note, uh, pet your cats. Yes, and uh, kiss your dogs, because why leave them out? I don't have cats, so I have to kiss my dog. Um, And we will talk to you uh, in two weeks. We're looking forward to it. And until then, drive safe. Um, Don't sleep ever again. If you do, like, dream up some weapons, man. Yeah. Dream yourself a big machete. Always a good tool to have. It is. Um, Take care, and we love you, and we'll talk to you soon. Mwah!